I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1. Today's episode, Trapped. In the dream, I am a hippie. And as a hippie, I have seen and heard many horrible things. I have participated in countless sing-alongs and noodle-danced under the stars. I have, quote-unquote, let it all hang out, and I have done my own thing. And now, my own smell makes my eyes tear up from nausea. In this dream, I am desperate for a steak dinner, a clean bathroom, and a bath. My name is something with moon, moon shadow, or moonshine. Or that might be my dog's name. He wears a paisley do-rag around his neck, which he seems to hate. I wonder if he hates being a hippie, too. I wonder if all hippies hate being hippies. I wonder if everyone is terribly, terribly unhappy. In the dream, my best friend is always inviting me to another interminable, soul-wrenching sing-along. Even though he is my best friend, I hate him. I hate his honeycomb peace hat and his Guatemalan waist pack. I hate his life force bracelet, and I hate his breath, which for some reason, always smells like hazelnut coffee. At these sing-alongs, we sway back and forth, arms over shoulders, armpits exposed, singing about love, moist, sweaty, and malodorous love. Even in the dream, with its dream logic, under my poncho, I am able to feel some germ of myself, some part of the real me, the me right here, speaking to you now, that knows it's all terribly, terribly wrong, that protests, that longs to speak in defiance. But in the dream, such a feeling is more dream than real. In the dream, there is a hippie girl that I love, It's one of those dream things where you understand you've always loved her, and we live together on a commune, with filthy, naked children running this way and that, Donovan music, bongs, hammocks made of hemp and sweet potato jam. My girlfriend calls herself Basil, or maybe Begonia, and everyone makes out with everyone, but the only one who will have me is someone's mother, whose name is Chakra. I spend most of my days trying to keep out of Chakra's way. And here I am, trapped, not sure of anything, 
even basic things like my name, my hippie girlfriend's name, and whether we have a baby. I do not even know a very basic thing like whether one of those filthy little barefoot miracles squatting in the mud and wearing face paint belongs to us. In the dream, I don't realize there's any other world but the one I'm in. There's no such thing as waking up. Maybe the hippies know about it, or think they do. They talk about, quote unquote, waking up, or emerging from the dream. But if I ever heard them talk about it, it wouldn't mean a thing to me anyway. I'd just roll my eyes and call it a bunch of damn hippie talk. I'd think to myself, there's only this world, pal, so get used to it. There's only just these little feelings we get once in a while. A maybe there's another world feeling. A maybe I'm not really this thing I seem to be feeling. But it isn't real. It's just dumb feelings. All there is, is what there seems to be. relationship I've ever been in lasted about three years but to be honest with you it should have lasted probably three hours and at that point I probably would have left with uh, fantastic memories do you have a tendency to stay in bad relationships oh yeah absolutely what I guess absolutely and I've been called on it by friends by family and it's uh, it's true it's a, it's a bad problem the relationship that you're in now how long have you been in it Probably a year, let's say close to a year, yeah, around a year. Something again that should have been over probably an hour. But but you're still in it. Still in it, and uh, and it's highly dysfunctional. But what keeps you in? It's not terrible. Like I feel sick when I come home. It's not like a relationship that's toxic. I don't feel horrible. So the best you could say for it is that you don't feel horrible. Exactly. How horrible is that? What's dysfunctional about this particular relationship? The entire relationship is dysfunctional. It's uh, it's based on a lot of uh, what I feel is me giving, specifically a lot of material items, gifts, finances, everything, everything, John, every single thing. So, you know, very there's no effort being made on the part of this person. Uh, to be reciprocal or even, you know, self-supporting in any way. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't, I, not that I need to be like the ultra-modern relationship where we both are going Dutch all the time, but I find that this person takes a lot. I'll give you a great anecdote of what I mean. So we're, we're on our way to a movie, and we're running late, and it's winter, so I, I park in front of the cinema and, and ask her to just go uh, get tickets, so I, I give her uh, money for tickets. And uh, so she makes her way into the cinema, and I, you know, take five minutes to find parking. I feel that I'm running late, so I rush in. And instead of finding her with the tickets, you know, waiting with the usher to let us go in, she's standing at the uh, ticket booth with the ticket counter person, you know, looking perplexed. And I ask her, uh, you know, what's uh, why are you waiting? Why did you buy the tickets? And she looks at me and says, because uh, it's three dollars short. Did she not have money on her? Or? Oh, she had the money. There have been times when I've been so infuriated that I've secretly gone into her wallet and looked. Because <laughs> it's such a crazy, unfathomable story to me that I've actually like gone and looked while she's taking a bath. 
and I felt like a real scumbag, but you know, not really because it was like it's like it just doesn't make any sense to me. So you you will go so far as to invade her property in order to get to the bottom of it, but as far as like actually sitting her down and having an adult conversation as grown-ups no, do. A total utter passive aggressive moron. I don't even know why I can't call her out on it. But the bottom line is that it's just an accumulation of these types of things. It's like, wow, I don't really want to spend my life uh, uh, with this kind of a person. Have you tried to break up with her? Every time I've tried to break up, it hasn't, uh, she's want, she, hasn't, she doesn't want to. She was like, no, it's work. It's, she didn't accept. She didn't accept. And, and how many times did you try breaking up? Three. But the next time, it's going to stick. Well, why, why will the next time be different, do you think? Well, the galvanizing factor has been, you know, the, my mother dying, my mother being really ill and my mother dying has been a... Uh, Which was the, this, uh, this month? Yeah, it was, it was in the last three weeks, exactly. And I feel that I just have absolutely zero support from, uh, from my girlfriend. Something as traumatic as the, as the death of a parent, and I'm alone. You know, I mean, it could be argued that I'm not letting her in, that I haven't given her an opportunity to step into this. So she's just not offering you the support that you that you feel you need right now. No, and and <clears throat> but maybe I will, maybe I wasn't asking properly. Did I or do I even need to ask? I mean, I don't you know I don't even know, dude. To be honest with you, I don't even know. But that's 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 I think what I'm trying to sort out. Why should I even have to ask? Why do you think it's hard for you to break up with people? I don't know. I mean, I can, I can give you the, the, the stock answer, the kind of the, the canned answer, the standard answer, which is I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I don't want to, I don't want to, have, I don't want to hurt them. But that's, that's BS because it's not about them. It's about me. So if, if I were to look inwardly concerning it, it, it's probably because in some ways uh, there's, that fear, there's that fear of being alone. There's a deep fear of being alone. And in some ways I'd rather be in these strange, dysfunctional relationships and then be alone. So what would it take for you to end the, 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 this relationship that you're in, that, that you're not happy with? Well, obviously I'm going to have to have, a, you know, a more, I'm going to have to have more of a spine. I'm going to, just, I'm going to have to be more resolute. I'm going to have to be more, uh, you know, more... Uh, assertive, more more clear, be a man. I need to be a man about this, to be a human being about it, have a backbone, a spine, and just do it. Can you set a date for when you will break up with her? Can you commit to that? No. You can't right now on the telephone with me commit to a time that you will... No. I just can't. A- after everything you've said... Yeah. So you're just going to stay together and, and, and live happily ever after? Does anybody live happily ever after? Together? <laughs> I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. 
Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. I have to tell you about this weekend I just had in Malibu. What what weekend is this? Okay, so I can't say this guy's name because he's like a big Hollywood producer kind of person. But you would know this person. He has a public persona that people are aware of. You know what I mean? And and how do you know him? I worked on a movie that he was the producer. Uh-huh. And uh, I just had like a super small part in it. Nothing big. I worked for like one week. Mm-hmm. But I happened to be there when he was on set. You know, and he's the kind, you know, there's these kind of guys who they sit off in the back on a director's chair, like constantly just either screaming into their iPhone or typing angrily on like a different, on a Blackberry in all caps. (laughs) So he was there and there was this day that he brought his dog to set Mm -hmm. and I hadn't met this guy. I'm not even on this guy's radar, but you know, I was kind of playing with his dog one day and we just kind of got to chatting and then kind of just almost apropos of nothing he says i don't know if you'd be interested in this but i just fired my regular dog sitter i have to go away for a couple of days do you want to do it and i was a little taken aback because we're essentially strangers to each other but he's an incredibly powerful hollywood producer so If I do this and it works out, that could be good for my career. So I said yes. You tell me when, I can come, I'll get the dog, I'll bring the dog back to my house. And he kind of looked at me like, what are you, some kind of idiot? My dog doesn't go to other people's houses. Like, if if you're going to do this, you're going to have to stay at my house for the weekend. Because he didn't want his dog having to slum it. No. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like, how dare you? How dare you try and bring my dog to your gross living establishment? You know, his dog, like, needs views of the ocean uh-huh. and, a, and an infinity pool, both yeah. of which he has at this house. Jonathan, the house is mental. And it's just, like, all glass, like, floor-to-ceiling windows that look out onto the ocean. But before you get to the ocean, it's like a jacuzzi. And, like, there's outside on his deck, there's a pizza oven. Wow. Which he told me not to use. But still, I was like, that is super, like, I don't know. For whatever reason, pizza oven really got me. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, so I dogged that for him. It went great. And now I'm his kind of de facto dog sitter slash house sitter, I guess. Uh When he goes away for a movie, I get a call. I go over and I stay in the house. And it is awesome. Like, I really look forward to it because it's like the most amazing vacation I could never afford. And of course, I can't not kind of revel in it. And I'm like taking a million iPhone pictures of myself, you know, like around the house or in the pool or whatever. And I'm sending them to my friends, you know, with like, you know, hashtag jealous much. Everybody is like, give me that address. I'm coming over. And I, I don't know why, but it, like that when that first started coming up, I just was like, no. As much as I love my friends, like I kind of wanted to have the place to myself. But this past weekend, I was there, and the dog and I walk on the beach. We come back. We're hanging out. I make burgers. It's like 
we're having a blast. We like this dog and I are having like the most romantic weekend I've ever had. <laughs> it's perfect. And then I go up to the kind of guest wing and I take a shower, I change, come back down, and I can't find the dog like at all. And so now I'm like wandering around, I'm calling her name, and then I hear a, like a very faint, weird bark. And I go around, there's this little hallway that goes around a turn, and then there's a staircase. And kind of under the staircase is a door. There's a little like door that's open. And I go in, I turn on the light, and there's the dog just sitting on the floor of this kind of sizable room, which is basically a panic room. Wow. There's like a desk and all these computer monitors that are showing like the security cameras all over the house. There's a, like a twin bed in there. There's like bookshelves full of supplies, like food, uh, you know, bottled water, like a straight up panic room. So it's in case of like a home invasion or something? It's completely in case of a home invasion, yeah. I think sometimes people who make movies about home invasions or about like extreme events like that mm -hmm. then become convinced that that stuff is really happening <laughs> but look also this is not like jodie foster in panic room pa tiny cramped panic room this is like very nice and comfortable there's like a wing back chair in there the panic room has a turntable in it with tons of vinyl like it's like like i don't even know at what point during some sort of either home invasion mm -hmm. or post-apocalyptic catastrophic scenario, are you gonna be like, you know what I wanna do right now? Like, I want to listen to Led Zeppelin 4 <laughs> on vinyl. Cause yeah. guess what? It's in there. So I find myself now, like I do, I wanna listen to Led Zeppelin 4. So I shut the door, I make myself a drink, me and the dog, we spend hours just listening to records in a panic room. <laughs> At a certain point, I'm most of the way through the Led Zeppelin catalog, and it's starting to get late, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna come back and do this tomorrow. Let's go to bed. I get up, I go to leave, turn the knob, nothing. Which is when I realize, when you shut the door to a panic room, it locks automatically. It locks automatically in a way that requires a key that maybe I have, but I don't have on me. I don't know how to get out of this room, which is when I have that very sinking feeling of, I'm not supposed to be in here. I'm not sure how I'm going to get out. I don't know what to do. And it's like slightly drunk panic starts to set in which is perfect because I'm in a panic room. Did you consider calling him up on the phone? Was that no. was that an odd no. why? Jonathan, this guy once fired an A-list star, like somebody you and I go to the movies to see a lot just because he was eating too many sandwiches at craft service, okay? You do not cross this guy. I decide it's late. I'm gonna sleep, and in the morning, I'm gonna figure this out. Let me, let me tell you something. The twin bed in this guy's panic room is more comfortable than my queen-size bed in my apartment, like by far. So, and you were still able to enjoy it, even in the I state that you were in. one of the most 
restful night's sleep of my entire life. Knowing that you may never get out of there again. It didn't matter. Like, I don't know the thread count of these sheets. I don't know what kind of feathers were in those pillows. The minute my head hit the bed, I was done. <laughs> and I woke up feeling like a million bucks, which made it only more crushing <laughs> when I realized that I was still stuck in the panic room. Uh-huh. So I spend the whole day in the panic room trying to figure out a way to like jimmy the door open, anything. I'm eating the supplies, I'm drinking the water. But as night starts to come, I start to really get concerned because this is not good. The next night. So you're in there like- This is now, I'm coming on to night two. Uh Uh-huh. And you know, and I'm watching the sun set on all the computer monitors. That sounds nice. It was lovely. It was lovely. I'm sitting in a wingback chair. I'm listening to records, you know, but at a certain point, I know I got to get out of here or I'm going to get in some real trouble. Yeah. And that's when I realized there's a camera that's pointed in the kitchen, just at like the the island in the kitchen. And on the island is the keychain that he gave me that is like the keys for the house. You know, it's got a million keys on it. I only use two of them. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I figure the key to this room must be on that keychain. I need somebody to come in and get the keys. So I bite the bullet and I call my friend Ben, who is, you know, easily the person I've texted the most pictures to of me living it up in Malibu, like giving him the finger like, ha ha ha, you can't come here. Meaning you're your best pal. He's like easily like my best friend. So I call him up and a little bit sheepishly tell him that I feel really bad. I haven't invited him out to the house before and I'm having such a nice weekend and it's beautiful and the sun's setting and I got a bunch of beers. Like, why don't you come out? You and me, we'll hang out. We'll have a good time. Which he's very touched by. And at the end of it, I kind of sneak in like, oh, by the way, when you get here, come through the back. The back door is open. There's a set of keys on the counter. Please come to the back of the hallway. I'm locked in the panic room. To which there is silence and then hysterical laughter. And then he says, I'll be right there. Don't you worry. Cut to an hour later and I'm watching the screens and I see him walk up the, from the back, from the beach, up onto the deck and through the doors there that, uh, that I had left open. He gets the keys. You know, he looks up, he sees where the camera is. He jingles the keys. And I can basically watch him You know, walking through the house, looking around, you know, he gets himself a beer. He's like, kind of settling in. And this is when I know that I'm completely screwed. (laughs) What happens next is I sit in a panic room and watch as a whole bunch of our friends show up. You know, and they're they're making a mess. They're like they're emptying the fridge. There are people who go down to the wine cellar, coming back up with bottles of I don't and like. And this guy's crazy rich. I don't. They might have like ten thousand dollar bottles of wine. I have no idea. Nobody's answering my phone calls. I'm banging on the door, but that's pointless. The longer it goes on, it's as if I'm watching a pretty what's shaping up to honestly be a pretty awesome party. Uh, I'm pretty sure people are making pizza in the pizza oven, but I'm now alone in this room watching a party that I would kill to be at. 
You know, like, like you know, you know when you feel like you're at home and you're worried that everybody's at a party you don't know about? Yeah. This was like that, except that I have 12 screens in front of me showing me everything I'm missing. For the first couple of hours, like it seemed to tickle everybody that I was trapped in the panic room and people would wave at the camera or people would perform for the camera knowing I was watching. But then at a certain point, I think they all just forgot about me. Nobody cared that I was there. That really, I got super bummed. And honestly, I just went, I put on a Joni Mitchell record and went to bed. <laughs> Slept like an angel. I gotta find out who makes that bed that's in the panic room, because it was amazing. So I wake up in the morning, the dog is licking my face, and I can hear the ocean. And I look up and the panic room door is wide open. I walk out the panic room door, the house is trashed, nobody's there, the house is empty. I wander through the house and that kind of emptiness and, and isolation that I coveted before is now seems devastatingly sad. And I'm wandering through and I realize this is how he lives. He lives alone in a house that's meant to house people. And that's kind of when I start to realize like in the panic room, like there was only well, there was one gas mask. There was one chair. Like, he's only prepared to survive alone. And that was, I, I, that really kind of freaked me out a little bit. It freaked me out because I hadn't really noticed it before. I'd in fact just thought it seemed comfy. And that alone freaked me out that I would find so comfortable something that was so lonely in nature. And so I picked up the phone I called my friend Ben, and I told him he'd better get the down here and help me clean up this mess. But if he did, I would also make us brunch, which I did. And I was happy for the company. On Wiretap today, you heard Jason Mantzoukas and Pierre Saint-Sauvage. Wiretap is produced by Mira Bertwintonic, Crystal Duhame, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.